0: Welcome to the 170th podcast, and the 140th is a City on a Hill Church. Pastor Mike continues in Isaiah, opening here Isaiah 4, verses 1 through 6. He's entitled this message, The Glorious Branch, which refers to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In these verses, Pastor Mike gives us a glimpse of what it will be like for those who are with Jesus during his millennial reign. Here is Pastor Michael Clark.
1: Okay, we are in the book of Isaiah. If you'd like to open up to Isaiah chapter 4, and we are resuming our study through Isaiah. We took a week off last Wednesday, and we had a very special afterglow service, time of prayer and Reading Scripture and waiting upon the Lord and worship—it was a beautiful uh, service last Wednesday, and we are picking right back up here in Isaiah chapter four, verse one, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And I'm just going to read the the whole chapter. There's six verses here, and we're going to finish this chapter here tonight. It's very short. Isaiah chapter four and verse one. Says, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. Now you might remember, if you were here uh a few weeks ago, maybe now six six weeks ago or so, when we started uh, this um, current prophecy or this specific prophecy actually started in chapter 2. So the prophet Isaiah, of course the scholars put everything together and and the historians and so forth and the scribes. And, and so it, the Bible comes to us uh, as God inspired it to be, but it's not necessarily written chronologically in chronological order. And some of the prophecies of Isaiah were written earlier. I mean, he was a prophet for 50 years to four different kings in Judah. And so uh, his his book wasn't... He didn't just sit down and write this prophecy in one uh, sitting. In other words, all 66 chapters at one time. It was over a 50-year period that Isaiah the prophet recorded this for us. And so uh the... This specific prophecy began in chapter 2. So chapters 2, 3, and 4 are kind of one prophecy, actually, broken up into four chapters. Chapter 1 was a specific prophecy, and it was written in chapter 1, and it was completed in chapter 1. Uh, Chapter 2 started a new prophecy. It actually went all the way to the end of chapter 4. It was one writing by Isaiah, one prophecy by Isaiah. And then there's another prophecy in chapter 5, and then another prophecy in chapter 6, etc. And so to uh, kind of circle right back to where we started at the beginning of this prophecy it's sort of like bookends here. The beginning of the prophecy and the end of the prophecy at the beginning of chapter 2 and the end of of chapter 4 are both speaking about the glorious reign of the Messiah. And I've entitled this message The Glorious Branch. The Glorious Branch, which is speaking of Jesus Christ, of course. But if you look back at chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, the prophecy began like this. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. And so we know that this is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ because this is... a a description and a detailed description of what it's going to look like at the time that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth from Jerusalem, specifically that there's going to be no more war. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares or spears into pruning hooks. And as we uh, looked at several weeks ago, if you took all of the budgets of the world, all the money that's spent in the world on military weapons and defense programs uh, law enforcement, and so forth, and you put all that money into agriculture because there's going to be no more war and no more violence when Jesus is the king over all the earth, you're going to have trillions of dollars that you could put into agricultural programs to where everyone on planet earth will be able to have everything they need, all their needs met, and all the food uh, that they need. And so this is just one aspect of uh, the... Um, what it's going to look like when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth during his millennial kingdom or his thousand year reign. Now, chapter two goes on from verse five or verse six. It goes on through the end of chapter three, actually, to describe the period right before Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom, which is the tribulation period. And we know that uh, that there is probably some literal translations that, that were fulfilled or literal prophecies that were fulfilled uh, in Isaiah's time with his people. Some of these prophecies would have been fulfilled when he spoke them to his people. But beyond that, it's speaking of the day of the Lord of hosts, chapter 2, verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So really, chapters 2 and 3, although there were some specific prophecies that would have been fulfilled in Isaiah's time, the majority of those prophecies are still future. Uh, They are related to the coming of the day of the Lord and the judgment of God upon this world, the judgment that is still coming, imminent judgment, the, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's all still future uh, even for us, but we are certainly much closer to its fulfillment uh, than uh, than ever before. So chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, speak of the judgments of God that are poured out upon idolatrous Israel and also the wicked nations of the earth. And so when we get to chapter four, verse one, really, chapter four, verse one ties in better to chapter three, because it's speaking of the women of Israel that were being mentioned, the haughtiness of the women of Israel, uh, the, the vanity of the women of Israel and so forth. So when we, when we read chapter four, verse one, uh, it, it really ties in better to uh chapter three verse twenty six and I'll I'll read it for you. This is where the human element comes into it because it's it's men who who kind of divvied up the chapters for us. They came on scrolls. One scroll would be the Isaiah scroll or many scrolls uh would be the Isaiah scroll uh in the museums from um from the Dead Sea scrolls but so the the scholars come and they kind of decide where to put the verses and where to put the chapter breaks and so forth. Those are added by uh the scholars uh and sometimes we think we could have done a better job than they did, but maybe maybe, maybe not. Maybe they know best. But chapter tw- uh, 3, verse 26 uh, really ties in with chapter 4, verse 1. We read here, her gates shall lament. Actually, if you back up to chapter 3, verse 25, he says, your men shall fall by the sword, and you're mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. And then chapter 4, verse 1. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So really, this first verse ties in to the haughty, arrogant daughters of Jerusalem, uh, the daughters of Zion. Uh, from verse 16 of chapter 3 all the way to the end of chapter 3 and into the first verse of chapter 4. So when it says seven women shall take hold of one man, seven in the Bible is a number of completion or perfection or totality. And so whenever the number seven is used, it, it usually means the whole, the, the, the whole host or the whole thing that's being spoken of. So really, uh, when it says seven women, it's it's really probably meaning that all of the women are going to be looking for a husband here because so many of the men would have been killed by the wars and by the judgments of God that came upon the nation. And again, if we look at this uh in relation to the tribulation period there will be people who will survive the tribulation period there will be many jewish uh, people who put their faith in jesus christ as the messiah in jerusalem in israel that jesus is going to save he's going to come back and he's going to uh, save them uh, from the antichrist and from the armies that are invading israel and invading jerusalem And at that point, all of Israel will be saved. All the Jews who were alive at that time, who are not Christians now, Messianic Jews, of course, uh, are are, are Christians. And Messianic Jews are Jewish people who believe on Jesus Christ now. But the rest of Israel, the rest of uh, the Jewish people who are not Messianic Jews, they don't believe in Jesus Christ now. At that time, at the end of the tribulation period... All the Jews are going to be saved, the Bible says. All Israel will be saved because they're going to see Jesus coming back to save them from the devil's man, from the Antichrist. And uh, there are going to be a a tremendous number who are going to be killed, certainly during the tribulation period of the people who are here. But there will be some who will live through the tribulation period. And they will live through in their human bodies. uh, And so there will be people that are going to marry during the uh, millennial reign of Christ, they're going to have children. The Bible says that children are going to live so long that if someone dies at the age of a 100, people are going to mourn that one as, as, as dying as just a few days old. Um, and so it's going to be a very interesting time. <clears throat> but this was no doubt true uh, after the uh, Babylonian captivity and the Babylonian Siege and so forth that happened that a, a lot of the men would have been killed, and the women uh, would not have been able to uh, uh, find a husband because there's just too many men were killed. the women would will outnumber the men tremendously here, uh, but this is also uh, a parallel to the tribulation period at the end of the tribulation period. Those who <clears throat> are in Jerusalem in Israel who survived the tribulation period. And are going to enter into uh, the millennial reign of Christ in their natural bodies. So then we come into really that time of, of the reign of Jesus Christ for the rest of the chapter in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. We read, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. So again, those who survived the tribulation period, those of Israel who have escaped, uh, are going to enter into this beautiful, glorious reign of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Now, this is a title or a name for the Messiah that we see uh, and we're going to look at in a minute here in some other scriptures in Isaiah and also in Jeremiah, this name of the branch of the Lord. It's another title or a name for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. If you turn to chapter 11 of Isaiah, and I'll read it to you if you don't want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, says this concerning the Messiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So there you have the branch capitalized. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. And so this is the one who is coming, the one who would be the uh, stem of Jesse, the rod from the stem of Jesse. So it would come from the household of Jesse, from the family of David, from the tribe of Judah. And we know that Jesus Christ, of course, uh, is who is being spoken of here. And so uh, he is the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Uh, he was righteous. Uh, he walked in obedience and the fear of the Lord. He never sinned. Um, he judged not by the sight of his eyes, but he knew the hearts of men and he judged with righteousness. He gave mercy uh, and justice to the poor and he was equitable for the meek of the earth. And uh, he uh, will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. This is still future when he returns uh, to judge the Antichrist and the enemies of God. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his way. So this is Jesus, righteous and faithful and true, and just, and humble, and meek. Now, we know that this is continuing here to talk about his millennial reign, which also chapter 4, verse 2 is speaking of. Verse 6 of Isaiah 11 continues, The wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." And in that day, verse 10, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. This is what we have to look forward to, guys. This is the future for the believer. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make everything right. He's going to judge the earth. He's going to set up his kingdom and everything is going to be right. Everything is going to be perfect. Uh, and the knowledge of the Lord, it says, uh, will, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord uh, as the waters cover the sea. Everyone's going to know the Lord at that point. Everybody uh, is going to uh, serve him and obey him. And if they don't, they're going to be in big trouble. They're not going to get rain on their crops, Zachariah tells us, for those who come through the tribulation period and enter into this time uh, of, of bliss and blessing and provision and peace. Uh, Finally, uh, here upon the earth, but it's Jesus who is going to be ruling and reigning. Now, Jeremiah also speaks about the branch in Jeremiah chapter 23, <clears throat> verse 5. I'll read this to you. We read this Behold, the days are coming, say the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. It's one of the titles of Jesus. The Lord our righteousness. And indeed, he is our righteousness because our righteousness is as filthy rags. We don't have any other righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ And He is willing to give His righteousness to you and to me if we will trust in Him and we will surrender our lives to Him. The Lord, our righteousness. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. This is speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ. One more Scripture in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33, verse 15 says this. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Speaking of Jerusalem, this is the name by which she shall be called the city the Lord our righteousness. And so it's all about Jesus Christ who is the righteousness of God imputed to man. Verse 17 says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And you remember that God made that promise to David David wanted to build a house for God and God said, no, David, you have too much blood on your hands. You've been a man of war and I don't want war to be established with my house or with the temple that David wanted to build for him. He says, your son uh, Solomon will build that house for me. But he says, David, uh, I will build you a house and I will put one of your seed on, on the throne forever and ever and ever. And this is a promise of God to David that one of his offspring, one of his seed that would come forth from his loins, from his lineage, would be an eternal king, would have an eternal kingdom that would he would rule forever and ever and ever. And so uh, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, who again is the root and the offspring of Jesse, the son of David, of, of that line and that lineage, and he will be ruling and reigning in righteousness. Forever and ever. In Zechariah chapter three, the prophet also speaks of this one who will come, Zechariah chapter three and verse eight. Hear, o Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you for they are for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth My servant, the branch. There it is again. The branch as a name and a title of the Messiah who was to come. And He's also called My servant, which is another title of the Messiah. My servant, the branch. Verse 9 of Zechariah 3. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua... Upon the stone are seven eyes, seven is the number of perfection, so perfect vision or perfect knowledge. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So it'll be t- a time of peace. It'll be a time of true peace and safety and provision when God's servant, the branch, is ruling and reigning over the earth. And one more scripture here in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. We read this. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And so you have the one who is the priest and the king, Jesus Christ, the high priest and the great king. And so this is all about Jesus. It's all about his coming kingdom and His coming millennial reign. Millennial just means 1,000 years. in year reign of Christ. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Verse 2, understanding that this is the context. It's speaking of the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus is ruling and reigning over the earth. And that day, Isaiah 4.2, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing, for those of Israel who have escaped. Now, some scholars believe that the fruit of the earth being excellent and appealing is speaking to the great agricultural boom that's going to go on during this time. Uh, and indeed, uh, that will be the case on planet earth. It will uh, most likely be like it was before um, the fall of man, like the Garden of Eden again. But, I I think that it is probably not speaking physically about the fruit of the earth, but spiritually about the fruit of the earth that shall be excellent and appealing. And in that, we would see that he's speaking of his people, that we are the fruit of the Lord. He uh, is the seed that died that was buried. He said, unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains alone. But if it dies and it's buried, then it bears much fruit. And so we all are the fruit. All of His people all over the earth are the fruit that is beautiful to the Lord and appealing uh, in that we are His fruit. We are those who are from His roots, as it were. He's the roots, and we're the fruit of the tree. Uh, and we are uh, excellent and appealing before Him as His people for those of Israel who have escaped. Also speaking to those who are going to trust in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period and live through to see Jesus Christ on His throne in millennial reign. Verse 3 says, And it shall come to pass that he who was left in Zion, Zion is another name for Jerusalem, and remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Holy means Sanctified. It means separated unto God. And it means really set apart for God's use. And so in the uh, time of Moses, the Levites, they would have their holy instruments, things that were dedicated to God, set apart, sanctified, not common, not used for anything else, only for the worship of God. There were men, the priests and the priesthood and uh, the Levites who served the Lord, they were set apart unto God. They were holy, called holy by God, set apart uh, and prepared for the Master's use. And so it's going to be in that day, that those who are in Zion and those who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who's recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Uh, we know that His his house uh, is called to be a holy house. Speaking of the temple, uh, we read in Psalm 93, verse 5, "...your testimonies are very sure holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever." And so uh, the Lord is holy. His house is holy. His people are called holy. And we know that we don't have any holiness of ourselves, but it is the holiness of God imputed to us. But during this time where Jesus is ruling and reigning over the earth and it's not too far off, we just had another earthquake today and uh, there was uh, a big earthquake in Mexico, a big earthquake in Mexico yesterday. There was another huge earthquake in New Zealand three or four days ago. I think it was a 7.4 in New Zealand, a 7.2 in Mexico, a 5.8 in Lone Pine this morning. This is all just in the last four days. And then there's 4,500 earthquakes that have hit Iceland. And they're concerned that this volcano is going to erupt in Iceland imminently anytime now. Uh, because of the swarm of volcanoes. That's all just in the last 72 or, or, or maybe 96 hours. So we are getting very, very close, guys, to the return uh, of Jesus Christ and then his kingdom will come shortly thereafter here on the earth. But we read in Zechariah chapter 14 as Zechariah is recording for us. The coming of the King, who's going to make war against the enemies of Israel and is going to defeat the enemies of Israel, Zechariah chapter twelve and Zechariah chapter fourteen, and then he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. We read in in Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse sixteen, about his kingdom, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, and speaking of Jesus, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, these are the people that survive through the tribulation period and enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, In that day, holiness to the Lord, all capital, shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone whose sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Some people say, well, why would there be sacrifices uh, among the people uh, who enter into this period, the millennial reign of Christ? Well, In the Old Testament, they were offering sacrifices as a picture or a type of Jesus who was to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. Here, they're going to be looking back uh, to the the cross of Christ. And these sacrifices uh, will be those a memorial of what Jesus did on the cross. And again, this is not for the church. These are for those who survive the tribulation period and enter into the millennial reign of Christ uh, in their bodies. We will, not, we will not be here with them. We will be ruling and reigning with Christ in our resurrected bodies. Either we're resurrected at the rapture uh, before the tribulation period or during the tribulation period or after the tribulation. We believe it's going to be before the tribulation period, uh, but there are good biblical arguments to argue for a mid-trib rapture or a uh, pre-wrath rapture, which could be three and a half years into the tribulation period before the great tribulation and the great wrath of God is poured out for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And then there's many who believe that the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation period, which doesn't make much sense to me because there won't be anybody left at that point for Jesus to really save. Uh, seven eighths of the earth's population or three quarters at least are going to be killed. Uh, during that period of time. And so we believe that Jesus is coming back any moment, any time uh like a thief in the night, we you know, we, we don't know exactly when he's going to come back, but he is going to come back for his church, and he's gonna take us to be with him. We're gonna have resurrected bodies. The dead in Christ will be raised first, then we are alive and remain. We'll be caught up together in the air to meet them in the air. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, first Corinthians fifteen, verses fifty to fifty two talk about this. Uh and then we'll have our resurrected bodies and we will be ruling and reigning with Christ over the earth uh, at that time. So many exciting things coming for the people of God. Now, we are also called to be a holy people because we are His people now. The church, we are His people. We are called to be holy even as these are called to holiness at this time that survived the tribulation period. Uh, We now are set apart to God. We now are sanctified. We now are separated unto God and we're supposed to keep ourselves clean as it were and allow the Lord to keep us close to him so that he could use us for his work and for his glory. Again, holy means sanctified or set apart, consecrated unto God. As a matter of fact, we are filled with, if you are a Christian here tonight, you are filled with and sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And so he is the spirit of holiness. And so for Christians to be living unholy lives, it's kind of an oxymoron. It's sort of a contradiction. The idea of a carnal Christian is, is really a contradiction because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and he's holy, how could you be carnal? I mean, it's, it's really, it doesn't add up. It makes sense. And, and quite frankly, the world has a real problem with people calling themselves Christians living just like all of the other unsaved unbelievers that that they know they think well what's the difference you know you talk the same way you tell the same dirty jokes you watch all the same rotten perverted movies that, that 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 we watch and you go and get drunk on the weekends like we get drunk on the weekends and you know maybe you go to church on sunday mornings but uh there there's no real difference between the unbeliever and the the believer the professing believer and and the unbeliever uh if if there is no holiness and so uh, we should take that charge very seriously that we are called to be His people. It's an honor to be called His people. Uh It's really a great privilege to be called the people of God and to be called those who are set apart and consecrated. We should want to be holy. It should be something that we desire to be like the Lord because He's been so good to us. Now we read in the New Testament concerning holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12, the author to the Hebrews said this, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's the pure in heart, remember Jesus said, that we'll see God. The pure in heart. And so he says, without which no one will see the Lord. So we're supposed to be pursuing peace with all people and holiness. That's personal holiness in our lives as we live before the Lord. Verse 15 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up may cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so we are called to be holy people. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And God has never to command us or exhort us to be or do something that's not possible. If God commands it, it is possible. We just have to surrender to Him. And we have to surrender our will to His will. And then He makes us holy. We're not holy uh, by anything we could do in and of ourselves. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that includes our holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15, Peter says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, "Be holy, for I am holy." And so again, the idea of of an unholy Christian makes no sense at all. It's just a complete contradiction. Uh, not that we're self righteous or we're holier than thou or think we're better than anyone else. It's just there should be a difference between the Christian. And the non-Christian and holiness should be that which is our ambition and our goal. And really, uh, the Lord does this work. He completes this work, uh, the process of sanctification being set apart throughout our lives as we grow in the knowledge of God and obedience to him. In 2nd Timothy, chapter two, Paul, the apostle told Timothy here in verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity or from sin. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified... That word means made holy or set apart or consecrated, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so really we have a part to play in this. It's God's will that we be holy and then we have to want to be holy also, set apart for him, vessels of honor, keeping our vessels clean uh, so that we would be those who are prepared for the useful use of the master. We want to be available to him, to use us. And uh, the Lord uses vessels of honor rather than vessels of dishonor to accomplish His work. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Picking up in verse 4. And we read this. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion... And purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, so this is a time when the Lord is going to wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and we read some of what that filth was uh, uh in chapter three verses sixteen to twenty four and that haughtiness of attitude and uh using sex for power and and, and lust and things like that to uh to to um uh, basically get their get get their way. And uh we, we studied that a couple of weeks ago in chapter three. But he is he's literally here when he talks about the the blood in in uh Jerusalem from her midst, purged from the blood of Jerusalem in her midst, he's probably referring to the human sacrifice that was taking place uh, uh specifically here when he talks about the blood of Jerusalem, the innocent blood of the human sacrifices there in Jerusalem that were being practiced by, shamefully practiced by uh, the people of God. We know that King Ahaz and King Manasseh, both who were kings under, uh, kings of Judah who were under Isaiah's um, uh, time when he was the prophet, they both offered their children as human sacrifices to Molech. Uh, it's recorded for us in the Chronicles. And so, um, literally the Lord is going to have to cleanse Jerusalem from the human sacrifices that were taking place at that time. In chapter 1 and verse 15, you'll recall Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15, God said this to them, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood, innocent blood. And uh, there's no more innocent blood than the blood of innocent children that were offered to these other gods, as human sacrifices, of course, today in our time it's it 's perfectly acceptable for people to terminate their own babies in the womb through abortion, and that 's just not here in America, although it is terrible here in America, but it 's all over the world, especially the Western world, Western Europe, and so forth and uh, and so we have blood on our hands as a nation as well. you know we really can 't appeal to God to be good to us or to bless us based on our righteousness because we're not a righteous nation maybe we were at one time we certainly had more christians at one time more churches that were actively involved in uh influencing society at one, at one time in our history but not so much today the church is getting less and less powerful more and more divided uh more and more divisive and you know and and less and less of an influence in our culture at large and so um we as Americans deserve the judgment of God because of the depravity that we are tolerating all around us, whether it's sexual sin or whether it's pornography or whether it's abortion or whatever it is that is legal in our country. Uh, and, and we have laws that protect these things in our country. People to make pornographic movies and send them out all over the world. It's legal. So we're polluting the world from America. Uh, And and whether or not we're participating in that, hopefully we're not participating in any of this as Christians. uh, But our nation is guilty, just like Israel was guilty at this time in Judah, of having innocent blood on their hands. And God always has to judge sin. So the Lord says here that he is going to cleanse them. He's going to wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion. He's going to purge the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Now, People think that God in the Old Testament was mean and then the God of the New Testament is nice. Almost like there's two different gods that the Bible speaks of. And that's just not true. God doesn't change. He's the same. He's not like a man. He says, I'm not like you. I don't change. You know, God says, I change not. I'm the Lord your God. I change not. He's the same. He's the same God as he was in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He'll never be any different. And he must judge sin because he's holy. And because he's righteous and being holy and righteous, he must judge sin. He must judge that which is unholy and unrighteous. And so he is going to do this through a spirit of judgment and through a spirit of burning or purging. Again, in the New Testament we read this in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. So this is judgment in the house of God. Judgment in the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. But a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Hebrews 10.28 Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. This is the New Testament, guys, not just the Old Testament. God never changes, he hates sin. He says, the Lord will judge His people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, this also shall he reap. And we are not exempt from those laws of sowing and reaping. There are consequences for our actions. And uh, God must judge sin because He is holy and because He is righteous. In Hebrews chapter 12, We're told in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth. This is speaking of God speaking. Do not refuse him, God, who speaks. For if they did not escape uh, who refused him, God, who spoke on the earth. Much more shall we not escape uh, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom cannot be shaken let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire he's righteous this is the new testament and so God hasn't changed it's just that our relationship with God has changed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we now have access to the father because of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ but we're still called to be his people. We're still called to reflect him, represent him, and to be holy because he himself is holy. Back in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory there will be a covering. The Shekinah, the glory of God, restored to Israel, restored to Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this in Ezekiel chapter 43. He speaks about the return of the Shekinah, the glory of God, to His rightful place in the temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel 43 verse 2 says this, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with His glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces toward the east. The it lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so, this is again the future. This is this is the uh, the temple of God that's going to be in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ returns to set up His kingdom. Now, it's interesting. Those of you who have been to Israel, if you go to the eastern gate in Jerusalem, which it's speaking of here, the gate is is actually completely sealed up. It's completely shut because one of the Ottoman uh, Turkish Muslim rulers understood this prophecy that there was going to be a Jewish Messiah who was going to come back someday. I think this was in the 1500s. I think it was Suleiman the Magnificent, if I'm not mistaken. And he read this, he had his scribes read this, and he says, well, we don't want the Jewish Messiah to ever come back here, the king to ever come here, uh, that's prophesied. So, they, they, uh, built a graveyard, a cemetery, knowing that no righteous, uh, prince or righteous king would come through a Jewish righteous person would come through a cemetery and become un- undefiled by, or become defiled by going through a cemetery. So they put a huge cemetery outside the Eastern Gate. Then they closed it. They sealed it completely shut. And Suleiman the Magnificent thought, well, we just broke this prophecy. It's never going to happen because we put the cemetery there, all the dead bo- bones and so forth. No Jewish person would come through the cemetery, especially not a prince or a king or the spirit of glory, uh, and, the, and the gate is sealed. But in chapter 44, the next chapter, it was actually predicted that the gate would be shut. It says in verse uh, 44, verse 1, he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. And so, uh, unbeknownst to them, they actually fulfilled the prophecy of God, and Jesus will have no problem dealing with this closed gate or the cemetery that's outside the eastern gate. He is indeed uh, going to come uh, into his temple in this way when Jesus Christ returns. And then the glory of the God of Israel is going to come back into Jerusalem and fill uh, the temple with His glory. Verse 6. Isaiah 4.6. He says, And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and from rain. Verse 5 also tells us that there will be a cloud by day, cloud and smoke by day over the city, uh and the shining of a flaming fire by night, indicating that God is going to be watching over Jerusalem. He's going to be watching over uh his people uh, as he did for the 40 years that the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the pillar of fire by night to provide them warmth and heat and light and protection from their enemies, and the cloud by day to protect them from the brutal heat of the sun in that Sinai desert. And so the Lord... Uh, because again, this is a prophecy to the Jews. It's a prophecy to Israel. Uh, God is going to restore Israel, going to save Israel, going to restore the Jews. They're going to accept their Messiah as he comes back to save them from the destruction and the armies uh, of the Antichrist trying to annihilate uh, the nation of Israel and the tribulation saints. And the Lord is going to be there. And he's going to have his presence there. And he's going to be covering them. And he's going to be providing for them. And his glory will be there as a covering. There'll be shade for the daytime, for the heat, for a place of refuge and a shelter from the storm and from the rain. And so it's it's just speaking to the time of peace and safety under the covering of the Lord, the watchful covering of the Lord at that time, which will be manifest here Upon the earth once again, and the Lord will once again inhabit. Uh, as it were the praises of his people. He will be there with his people in Jerusalem and he will dwell again amongst his people as he did uh, with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and as he did with the nation of Israel uh, as they were going through the wilderness. The presence of the Lord was there upon the tabernacle as Moses would go in and would commune with God, the pillar of fire uh, by night and the cloud over uh, the tabernacle by day. God is going to once again restore fellowship and harmony with His people and there will be safety and there will be blessing and there will be peace there in Jerusalem. Psalm 91, a very well-known psalm. This is where we're going to end here. Psalm 91 about the Lord's uh, abiding over His people and protecting His people. The presence of God. Psalm 91, verse one, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him. I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings. You shall take refuge his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. And so even now, the Lord uh, is, is, is here. The Lord uh, protects us. The Lord covers us, as it were, uh, underneath his feathers like a mother hen uh, w- would cover her chicks underneath uh, his uh, her feathers. So the Lord covers us underneath his feathers. Feathers underneath His presence. He watches over us. He protects us from evil. I mean, it goes on to talk about all the beautiful protections of God here in Psalm 91. Uh, The Lord is so gracious and merciful to us. He's so kind to us. And He is our peace and our safety. We find all of these things the world can't offer. Our provision, our peace, our safety, our righteousness, our purpose, We find it all in the presence of the Lord.
0: We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at podcast at gmail dot com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapig, California.